Hello, this is Breaking the Shackles of Time, a podcast about writing. My name is Marcus Weekly. Welcome. Today is our first episode. We're going to start with some of the more general aspects of writing. The idea here is to have a few episodes that start with some more general, um, widespread topics in writing, both academic writing and writing in other forms, and then from there move into maybe some more niche-type areas of writing that we'll go a little bit deeper into. Um, But to start, we're going to start broadly and to touch on some major aspects of what writing is. Hopefully, maybe some things you haven't really thought about before and things you can take away from this podcast that will affect the way you both read, of course, because that is an integral part, an intimate part of writing, um, but also the way you actually write or possibly even approach language and communication in general. Um, Episode one here is about the threshold concept that writing is a social, rhetorical, and cognitive activity. Um, So where do we begin with this? I think the best place to begin is with what a threshold concept is in general. Um, So threshold. Threshold is a passageway, right? A movement from one area to another, a delineated boundary of some sort that you pass through. Uh, A threshold concept was something that was developed in um, academic discussions in the field of education uh, to describe learners' movement from where they currently are in terms of their education and understanding and worldview perspective into a new area something that happens regularly in classrooms, um, but at the higher education level of uh, community college, college, uh, graduate degrees, um, there are many thresholds that a student is required to pass through most of the time in order to robustly understand either an aspect of a discipline or especially at the graduate level, um, what that discipline is doing altogether. Um, threshold concepts, in some sort of way, uh, the theory hopes to identify specific ideas um, within certain areas of knowing, typically disciplines um, of uh, academic study, that once understood, provide you with a passageway into understanding more robustly that discipline as a whole, right? So there's certain fundamental things that, um, that are a bit different than just the core concepts of a discipline in that you will need to learn many different core concepts, and these oftentimes can be memorized and reproduced when, when you need to um, bring up your understanding of certain content in a field, the, the threshold concept's going to be different because it changes the way you look at all of those core concepts, if that makes sense. It changes the way you look at the field as a whole. Um, Jan Meyer and Ray Land were the, the two researchers that first identified and began this field of study 
um, within education, threshold concepts. Um, and they really studied it within disciplines, right? They looked at concepts within a discipline that would change the way a new economics graduate student, um, once they learn about a, a threshold concept, they would, the way that that uh, student is initiated then into the field because they have a more robust understanding of how economics works and they're able to see many other things about the discipline as a whole by understanding one of these pervasive integrated con concepts that affects um, economic, our knowledge of economics in general. Um, they began in these disciplinary spaces where recently now that there have been a few decades at least of um, studies specifically of threshold concepts that um, it's also moved more broadly. And that's something that's really interesting to think about um, and something that's going to apply to our discussion here with writing and um, what I find really interesting about threshold concepts is that once you pass through a threshold and have a certain understanding that transforms your view of a discipline, um, there might be other instances, and in my experience there are other instances, where there are threshold concepts that will change the way you view the world more broadly, right? Um, it might be an instantiation of trans, a transformative uh, education where your worldview is shaken a bit, and you come out the other side having integrated a new concept into your life that you'll be able to connect to a lot of different aspects of your identity, of your worldview, of the way you learn new things, of the way you see um, and integrate new concepts into your own understanding, maybe in um, academic contexts or just in everyday life or your uh, just personal understanding, but as well in the way you understand yourself, right? Um, and this sort of movement is one of the things that I think is available in, in understanding writing, the social, rhetorical, and cognitive nature of writing um, in, uh, in a new way, right? I, I think because of writing's role as an expression of our social life, as an expression of our worldview, the ideology that we've been born into and lived and we think in and through on a regular basis, given writing's unique role um, in that larger structure, um, a shift in our understanding of writing might also create a shift um, in our understanding of different things about ourselves and the world, knowledge in general. Um, so let's jump back to threshold concepts for a moment here. Um, the literature identifies a few key aspects, right, of threshold concepts. Um, and this is going to be important for our discussion as we go a little bit deeper into the social, rhetorical, and cognitive specific um, assertions about writing. Uh, the first is that it's transformative, right? Seems pretty straightforward. The threshold concept um, is something that once you pass through, um, you are transformed in some sort of way. Um, another key element of it is that it is probably irreversible. Uh, once passed through, it is something that is difficult, if not impossible, to be forgotten, or if unlearned, will probably require effort, 
to be unlearned. And then the last part um, is something that I, or not the last part, the second to last part is something that I um, already mentioned, which is that it's integrative, right? So it has this axiomatic effect, right? So this new um, threshold concept forms an axis in, let's say, like a web <laughs> of beliefs, right, that form um, foundations that, that hold up uh, the web, right? These are like strong nodes type imagery um, that form a belief system or a way of viewing the world. Um, this new one that's there is obviously going to be part of that web and a strong part of it that connects to other um, axes or nodes and um, has, a, has an effect on the whole in an integrated way. Um, the last two key elements are that it's bounded, right? Uh, a threshold concept has a liminal space. So you first encounter the threshold, and then there's a period of time through which you um, pass through, I wanted to find a better word, but you pass through a space where you're still in the process of integrating and understanding. You go through trial and error. Oftentimes, this is a difficult process of integrating a new concept. And then there's a clear marker of when you pass out of the liminal space and the threshold is crossed and you have a realization or understanding that you did not have at the beginning. But this is rarely something the literature has found that people generally are generally experiencing in a class or through reading a book or something along these lines where it happens very quickly, right? For students, sometimes there will be a group that, it, that pick up a threshold concept more quickly if a class is structured around past, you know, addressing a few of them um, or addressing one in a class. Some students will, of course, pick it up more quickly. Others will take longer. There's a lot of literature about those discrepancies and how to create practices so that students more widely can integrate um, threshold concepts more quickly. But the general structure is that there is a liminal space um, where the passing through is oftentimes difficult. It's a matter of reworking, re-understanding, shaking up previous ideas, and then you pass through into a new understanding, um, which is why the, the imagery of a threshold concept as well um, is a good one. Connected to this intimately is one of the last characteristics and one of the most important. Uh, typically in the field, um, threshold concepts are talked about almost always together with what's now described as troublesome knowledge. Um, so leading off of the last point I made, that liminal space is typically, if not always, troublesome. And it's usually not troublesome in a single respect. Um, there is usually a complex trouble <laughs> to the trouble.
Um, what does this mean? This means that if a threshold concept is going to restructure the way you view economics as a whole, the way you view writing as a whole, or possibly even the way you think about yourself or your relationships, your way of seeing the world, then this isn't going to be just a single isolated difficulty that you are having trouble wrapping your head around, um, like a difficult part of algebra or calculus or something. You've done okay up to a certain point and then you hit a wall with a certain concept and you have to work through that concept. That's going to be more like a core concept, right? And yes, that's often troublesome. Um, core, core concepts are usually troublesome the more complex they get. This is a different type of troublesome knowledge where shifting that piece of your overall perspective or worldview or understanding conceptualization of economics or philosophy or writing um, will have reverberating effects on the rest of your understanding, either in that area or more broadly. So the troublesome knowledge is widespread and connected, right? So it's a different sort of difficulty than coming up on um, trouble integrating and understanding a, a core concept. This is specifically speaking to troublesome knowledge that will probably have reverberating effects, right? Um, recently, researchers in writing studies um, have taken this concept um, in education and used it as a vehicle through which to talk about what's been going on in the past 30, 40 years in writing studies. Given some of the preconceptions about how writing is, um, how writing should be taught, done, and what it's defined by. Um, so one of the main uh, sources for my brief discussion today will be Naming What We Know, Threshold Concepts of Writing Studies. Um, it's edited by Linda Ad Adler-Kastner and Elizabeth Warren War Wardell, excuse me. And um, what, this, uh, what this text has done is brought together um, a number of leading writers and researchers in the field given them the task of discussing what they consider to be key threshold concepts in the field of writing study, um, writing studies and doing it in a way that's accessible to um, a general student population. So this could be used as a textbook or as a way to understand a bit more deeply um, writing, no matter what point you're at and the, and the role it has. Um, and I'm going to be focusing on specifically here, just the social, rhetorical, and cognitive nature of writing and what that might mean um, as a threshold concept for us, not only in terms of writing, but also possibly a, a, a bit more generally for ourselves. So the first idea should seem relatively straightforward, hopefully. Um, and that's writing, like almost any other, if not any other human activity, is historicized in some way. Um, it's historically developed. That means it's going to be culturally situated in some respect. Um, 
And it's also socially situated because writing, um, like other human activity, like most other human activities, uh, is some sort of complex social system um, connected to complex social systems that doesn't occur with just an individual inside of some sort of personal vacuum through which they create these texts um, that is not affected by other people. Uh, so this might seem um, like a truism at first glance. Yes, most human activities, something as fundamental as writing, um, yeah, it's going to be subject to history. It's going to be subject to culture, the passage of time. Um, pick one part of the world, one social group, 2,000 years ago, compare it to another 500 years ago, compare it to myself right now speaking, um, and my historical situation here doing a podcast, um, there are going to be different situated elements that affect the communication um, and the writing. Um, the threshold concept here is that we might just brush over this idea a bit too quickly. And we might write ourselves or read in a way where we're not fully, usually not fully, um, understanding how pervasive those contexts are in that end product, what we're reading, and also our understanding of whatever that is. Um, so that's where I want to begin in terms of threshold concepts with writing. Um, when a writer works to create meaning um, through language, uh, they're always doing it in terms of an audience. Even if that audience is um, themselves sitting down to write in a diary, um, our, our fifth episode, in this um, series we'll actually talk about how the Greeks approached keeping a notebook, um, which is fundamentally different than how we uh, conceptualize a diary today. So this is a relatively good example here. Um, the semi-confessional nature of a diary, the um, going over possibly the the day's occurrences in order to better understand how we feel about them or maybe to process our feelings or, or let out some ideas, maybe some, some generative thinking there as well to understand ourselves and what happened better. That semi-confessional nature is a relatively recent phenomenon for the structure of writing for the audience of yourself. Um, ancient Greeks had a practice of keeping a notebook that was quite different than that sort of idea. If the day's events were um, recollected at the end of a day um, in this hypomenemata um, that was a widespread practice about uh, through learned, learned Greeks, um, which we'll talk about more in episode five, a lot of it had to do with how it served as an example of some other principle. Right? So they had an ethical principle, a way of life principle in mind, something um, that, that specific events were recalled and related as an opportunity to, um, to learn from. It also had the form much more of 
um, a notebook, right? Uh, you, if you heard something interesting that day, you wanted to keep it down to reflect on it later, to, to use it as a tool for reflection. Um, maybe something someone had said in a conversation or uh, something that was read um, in a different book, almost in a scrapbook um, type structure, a written version of such a thing. But a lot of it had to do um, with being geared towards a text of reflection that would affect future life, future acting. So it wasn't a scrapbook in the sense of let me look back on what occurred, um, but it had a clear view of the future. This convention, um, this genre of writing has in many respects died off. Um, Definitely the transfer of what a journal or a diary meant for the Greeks to what it means for us, for most people, when they hear that word, um, there's a clear transition there which shows a change in audience, a more wide audience that has certain concepts about what it means to sit down and write a diary. So in one respect, you're writing for yourself and that is still an audience. But in another respect, the unconscious form that that writing will take because of possibly, probably unspecified, but still taught conventions about what it looks like to sit down and write for yourself, um, those change in different historical and social situations. So even when you're writing a diary and the audience is yourself, there's still an audience there um, in one sense of it being yourself, but there's another sense too where that audience changes um, at different times, in different places. So the idea here is that usually this functions on the level of unconscious assumption. Um, if it's an assumption at all. It's just an unconscious part of writing that there's an audience there and I'm addressing it. If I'm writing another example, um, if I'm writing a, a birthday card to someone I care about, if I'm writing a post-it note to someone that I'm going, that I need to communicate to someone later, um, these sorts of seemingly everyday innocuous writing activities are still bound within certain purposes, um, structures of audience. We do them in certain ways that we don't consciously think about. We not only want to convey sentiment, convey information, but they take a certain structure and we consider the person we're writing them to in a usually unconscious way, but that is a part of the writing process in a deep respect. And that's actually a part of the communication process more broadly. Um, and something that's fundamental to what writing is. Writing is not only choosing the words and doing our best to choose the best words possible given what we know of the grammar and the clarity of this maybe specific sentence structure. It Clarity um, in those situations is always determined by audience, right? And the purpose of what's being written. And within that dynamic are things more or less clear.
Um, so, this is an example of a threshold concept, and it's super important because you can go really deep with this. So let's think about this in terms of um, genres, okay? Genres typically uh, in, a, in the common sense definition are um, a form of discourse, right? Uh, it has certain thematic, structural qualities. We can talk about a, one literary genre versus another. Um, writing studies has shifted this a bit to think about this as a routinized habit um, of human action that occurs in specific cultural situations. So um, a birthday card, <laughs> again, to return to that example, um, might be written in a certain way. Certain things might be typically expressed in certain cultures that aren't expressed in others if a card exists in some cultures and not in, in, in others. These sorts of differences and genres are social agreements that are recreated every time someone sits down to write in a similar sort of way that has been done before, and then someone reads and understands it in that respect. It's recreated as this dynamic as this thing every single time it's done. So in that respect, there is some malleability to it, right? They do change. Um, but a lot of times there are, there are institutional supports for these sorts of habits in cultural conditions. These might be um, market forces um, are other institutional norms, which we'll talk about in a moment in terms of disciplinarity and more academic style writing. Um, but it, it's often that interplay between audience expectation, so reader expectation, and um, what, uh, what the writer is able to accomplish, right? So um, this is a little different than just thinking of it in terms of literary genres. And this is interesting because, again, we've got the essential element of a socially bounded situation, right? Um, a genre can exist. These different forms of writing don't exist without the interplay of different people expecting certain things in certain contexts. You as a writer working to meet that expectation in whatever way, um, in the most vivid, typically the most clear uh, the most precise way you can. Um, so uh, you lean upon other examples of people having done this. You increase your awareness of exactly what your audience is expecting, and you weigh those demands um, when you write something. Um, and these genres then inform what writing is to us. Uh, so within a discipline, let's say, in, in academic writing, um, a disciplinary genre has been developed over time, and it exists typically for very clear reasons. Um, 
I use the example of an experimental report in science, um, an introduction, method, results, discussion format, um, a very similar, slightly expanded version of the same thing exists in the social sciences. Um, this has developed over many, many years to reflect the scientific method as closely as possible. Once you are integrated or learn how psychology, how biology, how chemistry does research and expresses it through writing, you as a reader will take full part in the continued creation and recreation of the disciplinary writing genre of the social science paper or the experimental report by expecting there anything you read to have a certain structure in the introduction, to then move to a literature review if it's social science or straight to the methods section if it's um, uh, an experimental report. And then from there to the results, to the discussion, um, limitations, possible future research. Um, every time someone, every time an instructor teaches their class that this is how you write in psychology or biology, every time a student then integrates that and does that every time they read an article and expect there to be certain things in it. This disciplinary genre, with very clear purposes in mind, is reenacted through social agreements, through culturally situated ideas that say that this is what this discipline looks like. Um, that occurs with disciplines and with genres, and it also occurs across um, many other social and historical situations. And that's why this is, this is a threshold concept, because it can take us to the level of ideology, um, worldview, and language, and how these sorts of things really shape the world, our understanding of the world, and our understanding of ourselves. Um, so if we think of an ideology as a worldview, right, as a, as a comprehensive set of beliefs and practices um, into which we are all born in various versions of this one way or another, um, there is no vacuum in which a human does not come to know things or to know what knowing is um, throughout some sort of mitigating effects of this is how we do it. And sometimes these are ostensibly taught, sometimes they are um, very clearly laid out and passed on in the forms of principles and key ideas. Um, but this is the way we understand the world and the way in which we interact with it, right? We, um, form all of our conceptions um, of our identity. You can think of social status, um, evidence for what counts as true, what, what does not in different cultures at different times. Um, we all see through and importantly with um, these sorts of structures. And this complex activity system 
um, is something we're all a part of when we write. It's also something we're all a part of when we know something, think that we know it, when we believe something, and when we interact with others about it. So writing as um, one of the key mechanisms of language and of knowledge and of culture um, is, is integrally, integrally involved in this. I mean, that's part of the reason, that's one of the reasons why I chose um, the Carl Sagan quote I chose to, to name this podcast, Breaking the Shackles of Time. When he, when he talks about a book as something that is, you know, he was, it was uh, a few decades ago. So he talked about it as a, a book made from a tree um, with pigmented squiggles on it. Um, and if done correctly, given the way humans, how we work, um, you can glance at it and hear a voice from a thousand years ago speaking right to you. Um, and how this invention binds us together, it breaks the shackles of time, right? Um, it is something that can connect across these historical differences. Um, embedded in this idea is that we are crossing millennia. It's, it's, it's an amazing, almost time-traveling technique where you can go back and read something written thousands of years ago. Um, but oftentimes, you know, the worldviews, the ideologies have changed dramatically across those periods. So what the author was intending to the audience that they wrote for at the time is not what we understand. So even when I talk about the Greek practice of non-confessional journaling in episode five, I, I, I'm not going to talk about it as if it's something that we can bring into our historical context today and recreate the, the worldview that ancient Greeks had and the place that this social and personal practice had within that is not something replicable. We're, we're far too far along, let's say, um, and things are far too different in significant respects for us to just bring an ancient practice um, into today without any sort of change. I mean, the same thing is true when we look at language and writing. These um, ongoing cultural ideological, situational changes um, that occur across human life and history, writing is caught up in all of that. Um, and as a threshold concept, thinking about writing in this way, in terms of what, you're, what you might be reading, if it's from a different time, a different milieu of some sort, um, or when you're writing, to understand how situated what you're doing is. And knowing that there's a dynamic there, one step in a slightly different direction that um, writing is not only a tool for understanding the world and, and um, deepening or creating uh, an ideology or a worldview in each individual person that, that, that learns it, um, it can also be a tool for self-transformation, um, for understanding oneself better or changing oneself, 
um, and it expresses identities, right? So with all of these sorts of things at play, when you sit down understanding a bit more deeply what that writing process entails, both on a personal level while you're doing it, but then also the effects it has more broadly um, or can have, so that every time someone then sits down to read it, with certain agreements they bring to it, um, or how those might be shaken up, um, that sort of interaction is a new possibility. It's, there's a new potential there with a deeper understanding. To take this as something where transformation can occur in social and cultural ways, but then also um, in personal ways, right? Um, in an individual sense, as well as um, in the continued production or, or making of meaning that goes on when we sit down to type or to, to write um, anything new for many respects. There's going to be uh, greater or lesser things at stake, um, possibilities, but there are new ways to conceptualize writing a birthday card <laughs> with a deeper understanding of the dynamics that are going into that activity um, as there is uh, to write um, a long book or an essay um, or to conduct scientific research and express it in a certain way. So um, this dynamic between the historical the rhetorical in the terms of the expectations of the audience, which we'll go into more deeply uh, next week um, in terms of, uh, I'm sorry, next, uh, next episode, in terms of um, writing for different audiences. We'll go much uh, more deeply into the rhetorical expectations that goes, in, that, that goes into writing. Um, all of these different elements um, can work as a threshold concept that can rearrange your view of language, um, how we should be taught language, what type of communication we want to reproduce when we sit down to write, um, what's at stake in that process, and how that process can work to change um, yourself and also your reader. The last thing I wanted to touch on um, is the cognitive aspect, which is an interesting um, new development, relatively new development in understanding writing. And this is um, the addition of neuroscience and the benefits that are coming from studying the brain um, with what goes on when we write, what writing, how writing fits into to cognitive processes and structures. Um, studies are, are now finding that um, the process of writing, um, as we might assume, um, influences other mental processes considerably. Um, it also has psychosocial and importantly, physiological effects. Um, so 
writing not only affects our broader mood, our many other mental processes such as recall, goal setting, attention span, our ability to um, integrate new knowledge, um, it also affects our social our social relationships, but our, our physical body as well. So stress and anxiety levels, our um, recovery from trauma, uh, pain sensitivity, these are some of the examples that connections that are being found in neuroscience. One of the things that I really wanted to touch on with this though, beyond these these broader effects that are being seen, is um, the dynamic between learning new things, which uh, this supports the liminality structure in a threshold concept, but the, the idea of working memory and um, what it means to, to change and progress as, as a writer. So what neuroscience has found is that we have a limited amount of what's called working memory, which uh, exists, if I understand um, correctly, uh, exists in the frontal lobes. And this working memory is not as elastic and malleable as other connections in the brain. Uh, there's a limited amount of it, and when it's used up with certain tasks, there's a f that's it. There's a finite amount. So what this means is um, when a child, for example, a lot of this research started there, when a child is learning language, they will initially have to spend a lot of time understanding how each shape is formed, and then how, what those shapes signify as an alphabet, and then what some basic combinations of those shapes together signify, and then more and more complex combinations as, as you go up. At a certain point though, the child reaches a point where they don't have to engage so much working memory in the task of processing the letter A, or the word and, or the, that has been learned in a way where it is automatized. Um, and they, there's an, an unconscious competence, it's called, in the field where language um, will be, that language understanding is moved to a different part of the brain and working memory is then freed up for the for the child to develop um, more and more co more and more complex understanding of language, and a similar thing occurs with writers um, or with writing. Depending on how we're taught to write, we will automatize certain structures, certain forms, certain ways of doing it. When we encounter a need. To, do, to write in a different way that we're unfamiliar with, or if we're in a class and we're being taught to write something we've never done before, that is going to be a heavy working memory task. And there's going to be a lot of cognitive burden involved in integrating this and learning this new um, form of writing, these new demands, meeting the new demands of an audience, of doing different things. Um, this process then more or less guarantees difficulty in integration 
of some new some new form some new form of writing. Um, after a period of time, though, what's been found is that even complex writing tasks can be automatized so that they move to different parts of the brain, working memory is freed up, and someone who's written dozens and dozens of philosophy papers knows exactly the structure of it or has done the same in psychology will sit down and write in a way that doesn't demand a lot of working memory. There's a lot of just automatic, unconscious competence and processing going on to do these even highly complex forms of writing. Um, this is interesting because it can, though that's a very positive thing, and part of the reason why writing should be a habit, and the more you practice it, the better you get at it, as with many other things with the brain. Um, there's also uh, the problem of possibly getting entrenched. So too much habituated practice of, a, of, a, of one and only one style of writing can lead a writer to be entrenched and encounter even more difficulty in any sort of attempt to translate whatever knowledge they're expressing in a certain form into any other form. Um, and the most cliche but also most highly researched example of this is for scientists, is with scientists' inability to translate a lot of what is done in complex scientific research for a, a more public audience. Um, so what does this mean? This means that um, the best way to approach this, and I think more generally, um, and the best use of understanding writing as a threshold concept in this way is to push us to develop a practice um, of reflection and of um, consistent self-improvement, a self-informed practice of communication, where the deeper that we can understand the social rhetorical and apply the insights of cognitive research and understanding how our brains work in this process and we can bring in the social rhetorical nature of writing um, and the process through which we create and recreate this every time we read or write in certain forms, what values we really want to bring to this, how this affects us as individuals, or as part, partners in social agreements, um, the deeper we can go with this, if we are developing and maintaining uh, a self-informed practice of our role in this, um, we'll see that, that, that writing is far more than just a skill to be mastered. It is quite clearly also an important, it plays an important social personal role that um, we, we have a major part in um, and that we can and we do um, have power in and through every time we sit down or to, to write or to, to, to type. Um, and that this is an, both an opportunity and a challenge, but it's something that can teach us about the world, 
about ourselves and can possibly and often does change both of those things as well. So on that note, it's time to sign off. From Studio B3 at Claremont Graduate University, this is Breaking the Shackles of Time. Thank you for listening.